Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Matt Levine Migration Podcast. Uh, of course, my co-host Noah Levy, and we're kind of going way back now uh, to our summer camp days uh, with my former uh, basketball instructor and now pro trainer Joe Ross. Um, how you doing, Joe? I'm doing great. Thanks for having <laughs> me on the uh, on the podcast here. Everything's good. Yeah, I, I kind of remember like that summer. You were only there for one summer, right? Yeah, so I um, I was a longtime camper there, but only did one summer as the uh, as the basketball instructor. Yeah, so I remember that Lakeview summer. That was that was a ton of fun. And Noah Noah was there that year too. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah no, that was Lakeview. Uh, I spent many <laughs> years there, so good good times there for sure. Yeah, good, awesome times. And and before we kind of jump into your background, and like pretty much all the work that you're doing, you're, you're an NBA replay center employee. You're also a pro trainer. Kind of what has your like life been during COVID? Like, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah. So everything's good. Obviously um, a unique time. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and when it first, you know, when everything was going down at first, I was actually in the replay center the night that uh, Rudy Gobert they found out that he tested positive and they started mm -hmm. shutting everything down. Wow. So from that night, it was chaotic in there that night, you know, they're saying the league is postponed. Mm -hmm. Nobody really knew what was going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. So from that week, and then I'd say maybe the following three weeks, there was just a lot of uncertainty with what I was going to do because obviously the games were stopped in the NBA Mm -hmm. And I didn't know when I was going to be able to get back in a gym or do any training. So, yeah, uh, you know, for those couple weeks, I was, you know, trying to figure out what my next move was going to be and, and how I was going to kind of, I guess, stay afloat during that time. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd say about, about three weeks after the initial news that everything was kind of closing down. I started to get back into like socially distanced outdoor lessons. Um, and then, you know, the thing that I do is I, I tend to post a lot of my workouts just so mm -hmm. that people know what I'm doing and I try to brand myself that way. Um, so I started posting, making it very clear that I was going to be doing the workouts socially distanced and, you know, everybody has their own ball. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to stay you know, six to 10 feet away the whole time. And yeah. people started to get a little bit more comfortable with doing that. Like I'd say maybe three weeks into it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I was able to do that. And I, I started to get some local people who were willing to work out. Mm -hmm. And then I'd say about a month or so in, I was able to get back in a gym and I've been kind of running fairly smoothly with obviously precautions, but um, a little bit more smoothly the last month and or two months now. Yeah. And so kind of how were you able to get back into the gym? And you, you were talking about like some of the outdoor workouts that you conducted. Was it was it difficult? Or did you have a hard time getting some of your clients and like some of especially your younger clients, their families kind of like buying in? Were they like still very worried about it? They definitely were worried um, in the beginning, especially with the younger clients. Mm -hmm. um, the parents were you know, pretty protective. But I think, again, when they thought about it and they saw that I wasn't really near the, the kids, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just instructing like a coach from the sidelines, basically. I think they started to kind of warm up to the idea. Um, mm-hmm. The difficult part was none of my pro or higher level, or I shouldn't say none. I had a couple that were willing to work outside. But a lot of those guys during the during that time, we were kind of just waiting for the gym to open back up. You know, when you're a higher level player, it's not easy on the knees to do, you know, outdoor stuff. Yeah. So that was my biggest um, obstacle, I would say, is figuring out a way to keep those guys prepared for, you know, whenever they might get back to playing. And so how did you how did you do that? Like, uh, were you conducting virtual workouts? I did a little bit of that stuff, you know, where I would do ball like I, I'd either give them a FaceTime call and we do like ball handling stuff, but I wasn't able to do full workouts or anything like that. Gotcha. Uh, We really just played the waiting game. I, you know, they were, I'm sure doing some, a lot of push-ups and things like that to stay in physical shape at home. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the, the basketball stuff for them, it was just, if they had, you know, a backyard that they wanted to work out in, or if they wanted to, you know, do some ball handling. That's really all we could do. Gotcha. And, and I just want to like talk about like some of like the social media stuff. You're constantly posting, building your brand, like you said. Mm-hmm. So when did you decide to, to become like a, a professional trainer full time? And um, like, what are some of the things that like you really focused on with, with a lot of your clients? So out of college, I graduated in 2016 from Ithaca College. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually where my mom went oh really yeah yeah. (laughs) back in the day um yeah so after there i i wanted to do something in sports very badly um Mm -hmm. my major in college was sport media um and that's always been my passion you know whether it was basketball or or something in in the sports field i knew i wanted to do that Mm -hmm. um so i looked around for a while um, I, you know, did a bunch of interviews, got pretty deep in a couple interview processes, but didn't end up finding anything in sports right away. I think a lot of the places said I needed some other work experience and I didn't have too much, you know, internship experience um, in the sports field. I, I mean, I worked camps and, and things like that, but nothing outstanding, I guess, to, to really get my foot in the door anywhere. So I did just a regular job in New York City, a sales job, which was, you know, good experience. I have, you know, I have nothing that I regret about doing that. Yeah. But after a year, it was literally one year. Um, I just, you know, the last couple months I said, this is just not what I want to do. You know, it's not my passion. I've got to figure out a way to make it work with sports. Mm-hmm. So um, that's when I applied for the replay center job. Um, I was able to, you know, I I had a couple people that I knew that had previously worked there um, and a few other good connections who at least positioned me to get an interview. Mm -hmm. Um, I did, you know, pretty well in the interview. Basketball is kind of my thing. So I felt confident that if I could get an interview, I'd have a good shot at getting the job. Um, so I got that. And now the thing with the replay center job is it's always during the nighttime, you know, it's during the live games. Yeah. So it so left you training me, in the morning. Right. So it left me with this massive gap in my <laughs> schedule in the morning. Um, and I, I, I 
I said, I got to figure something out because I can't just only do this nighttime job. Um, ended up getting in the gym at this place where I had played men's league for years. Um, and I knew some people over there. So I, I just asked if I could help out with clinics and, and, you know, different things at the gym, which led to me posting some videos here and there doing skills, uh, skills stuff. And, um, I started to get a couple guys in the gym and then before I knew it, it really started to expand to the point where, um, I had somebody coming in to work out every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought that it was just the perfect opportunity to, to start building that while I was only working in the evenings. Yeah. And, uh, and tell us about that point where like you kind of realized that, yeah, this, my brand is growing. Like this is for real. Um, it got to a point where, again, the, in today's day and age, social media is so big. It's mm -hmm. just so important. Everyone's, you know, everybody's putting out content nowadays and you got to do it, you know, consistently for people to realize what you're doing. Um, and it got to the point where I was having probably 10 or so guys a week who are either former division one players or professional guys amazing yeah um and i was like you know what if all these guys like what i'm doing um i must be doing something right mm -hmm. um and and with me it's 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 more than just the training side of things you have to show them that you care and you're a good person as well um and i think a lot of guys buy into you know buy into the stuff that i'm saying because they know i i really mean it um and again, it takes a little while to gain trust of guys who are higher level players than I ever was. But, you know, as I kept going and becoming more confident in the stuff that I was teaching, um, the client base kind of grew as well. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, again, I think it's just seeing, I remember there was one morning where I, I had a workout. And again, I started with maybe one or two guys in it at one time or, you know, one workout here and there. And there was one morning I remember where I had six division one players in the same workout. And as they were warming up, I was like, you know, I could have never seen this happening in like a year's time. Mm -hmm. um, that was like a moment where I was, I, I realized I could really, you know, do this at a high level. That's amazing. And I want to highlight one of the, one of the people you're training right now, Marcus Patterson. And there's a great article uh, that I, read off of your Instagram bio. I'll put the, I'll put your Instagram handle in the podcast description, but uh, Marcus Patterson, uh, you kind of, you kind of helped him take his games to the next level. And he eventually got an offer to play overseas in Portugal. And funny enough, he trains with Al Smith, who's the founder of AS3 athletics, who yes. I, I actually train with. So it's kind of oh, like that. Hey. And he was also on the podcast. So that was kind of a little, uh, funny connection but tell yeah. us about your experience with with Marcus and how are you able to take his how are you able to take his game to the next level and and what did that mean for like your kind of your brand so yeah I've been working with uh, Marcus for probably two almost two years now I think mm -hmm. um, and the thing with him is he, he reached out to me. We connected through Instagram. I had never met him previously. He, he just uh, found your work. Yeah. He just found me, I, I guess, through 
somebody again that's the mm -hmm. crazy thing with social media, social media. He must have seen that i was working out somebody that you know he follows or something like that um and he reached out to me um we set something up and right from the first time i met him i just saw how extremely driven he was um just like every drill that he would go through was 110%, like just laying it all on the line. And I, I knew if I could get in the gym consistently with somebody that works that hard, we could, you know, we could make something happen. Mm -hmm. um, and he had a unique story. Like he had played in England, I think, for a little bit. I, I can't remember exactly what his first situation was, but out of school, he did something um, overseas in England. Um, came back and and was at least a year without playing because I think he had a knee injury. He either tore his ACL or meniscus or something mm -hmm. where he had been sidelined and, and was without an opportunity for about a year. Um, so during that time, we just uh, completely locked in in the gym. He was, you know, he trusted what I was doing and we really focused on developing him more as a guard um, because I think previously at the division three level, he played more of a four mm -hmm. where, you know, he was quicker and more athletic than a lot of fours, but wasn't a fluid wing player yet. Um, so I just put him in a position where he was constantly working on his handle and playing um, more on the wing with the basketball in his hands. And I think he started to really make a big jump um, and expand his game that way. Um, and yeah, he, he's just got a great story. He really bet on himself. He, he I mm -hmm. think paid to get, to go on an overseas tour just to get seen. Um, and he played extremely well and played himself into a contract. So yeah. But yeah. He, it, it's pretty cool experience how you were kind of though, you really took him to the next level. You identified like his kind of weakness and, and turned that into like a job opportunity for him. Yeah, no, it's super rewarding. And the thing is, as a trainer, you know, you have different goals. Like when you're a player, mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously winning championships or, or having like big scoring games and things like that. But once I got into training, it was just now at any time one of your guys or girls succeeds, that it feels like a, a huge win for you. Like mm -hmm. it, it's a crazy, it's like a parent almost like when you're <laughs> when your son has like a big time game, you feel mm -hmm. excited or when they play terribly, you feel like you had a bad game. Mm -hmm. um, and with my players, like if I, anytime I see that they do something positive, it, it just feels good for me as, as well. Yeah. And I want to talk about uh, your playing career a little bit. So tell us, tell us kind of like what that was like and who, who did you model your game after and how did you learn all, all the stuff that you're kind of relaying off to your, to your players now? Yeah, so um, I played at East Brunswick High School. Um, we were pretty good during my time there. Um, usually, I think, you know, I think we won 20 games all three of my years on varsity. Did you ever beat up on Scotch Plains? We didn't. We never <laughs> played Scotch Plains. We never played Scotch Plains, but um, we were good. We were a good team. Um, I think a, two of those years, I was the leading scorer. Um, and my game style, I, I'm a, a three point shooter, basically kind of, that's my thing is, uh, I guess I would label myself a three point specialist. 
but very unathletic and a very bad defender. Um, <laughs> so I, I really, offensively, my job was to make shots. Mm. And I was also, you know, I, from a young age, I, I, I really focused on skill development and, you know, making sure my handle was great and got a lot of shots up. So I always felt confident with the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was crafty. So I was, I was offensively, I could get the job done and, and make plays for others, but also make shots. Mm-hmm. Um, so at six foot or, you know, six one in sneakers, yeah. I'll say, <laughs> I was able to, you know, I was able to play the combo guard position um, mm-hmm. and, and play it at, at good enough that I could get some college interest. I got to the point where, my senior year of high school, I wanted to, you know, I really thought that if I was maybe two inches taller, I was a scholarship level player. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just missed out on, on those two inches and, and became really heavily recruited at the division three level. Um, so that last year I was basically deciding between about, you know, at the end it got down to about a final six, but at one point I'd say it was probably 25 or 30 division three schools. Wow. Um, So again, my, if I had to say somebody that I modeled my game after, um, I would say, you know, I used to watch, I I guess, uh, a lot of JJ Reddick, somebody who kind of moves well without the ball and is a, really good um in catch and shoot situations mm-hmm. uh, but can also you know make a play off the dribble a little bit you know playing off the catch so that's a guy that i always used to kind of model my game after yeah. um but yeah i i guess <laughs> i guess that's what what i'd have to say in terms of who i play like yeah um, and then i i didn't even mention I, I mentioned it earlier i went on to play at ithaca college Mm-hmm. Um, where we were very good my freshman year. Um, we went to a Division three Sweet 16 um, and were one basket, one basket away from going to the Elite Eight. We were up one with a couple seconds left and uh, a terrible foul call against us ended up sending us home. They needed the NBA replay center there. Yeah, they <laughs> could have used us for sure. We would have challenged the last foul call. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, uh, I, I was just going to say uh, for the listeners, Noah, in, in the top left, at least of my Zoom call, he's wearing his Duncan Robinson jersey today. So uh, three-point specialist a little bit. Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> he's been unbelievable, Duncan Robinson. And, yeah. and the funny thing about him is he uh, represents the Division Three guys. He, he played Division Three for a season at Williams, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Duncan uh, Robinson is my favorite NBA player by far. His story yeah. is incredible. It, it's crazy. Yeah. It is. He really, uh, and he's not just coming on like one or, you know, this is a, a full season of work, just mm-hmm. absolutely red hot shooter. So yeah. he's, uh, he's making, he's going to get paid a lot of money pretty soon. I, I want to transition now a little bit, like into talking about the NBA. You, you of course have like a pretty unique job. You're kind of seeing the game through a different lens. Do you, do you ever feel pressure like having to make those decisions and like tell so, us about like your responsibilities as well. It's right. a remarkable job. I love, I love that job. It sounds great. Yeah, no, it's a, it is for a basketball <laughs> fan. It's like uh, the, one of the cooler jobs you can have as, as a guy who's just a basketball junkie. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, to be involved in, in, you know, live play and have, you know, a role in NBA games. It's definitely cool. Um, now I'd say this is, I think my third season doing the job. Mm-hmm. Um, the first season I definitely felt nerves in the position that I was in. Um, it took me till I'd say midway through my first season to kind of relax a little bit. Um, but for, for people who are unfamiliar with what I do or what goes on in there, basically, um, my position is called replay operator. Um, and I'm in charge of working one game, um, one game a night. So I, I get there early before the game and I leave late after the game, but I just have that one block, which is, which is my game. Um, and I work on that game with somebody called the senior replay manager who is sitting next to an NBA official who's also assigned to the game. Now for the replay operators, there's only one person per game now and the senior replay manager who's sitting next to the official, they on any night might have three or four games that they're in charge of. Um, so for me, I have to be paying complete attention and locked in on my game because they're maybe not watching my game at that time. They might be looking off at another game. Mm -hmm. So for the replay operators, we have to learn all of the possible triggers for when the officials can come to look at replay on the floor. Um, I think there's about 15, there's 15 different possible triggers. Like that's includes like a, shot clock violation or, um, you know, a last second shot or a clear path foul. Those all fall under the, the replay triggers where the official on the floor would come to look at something. So in my game, if I'm doing the Knicks Celtics game and somebody shoots a three pointer with a toe on the line or something like that, I'm on my computer I see, you know, I have a whole little setup with, uh, you know, multiple screens. I will tag the play by clicking a button on the keyboard, which clips that play. And, and while I do that, I'm notifying the people who are, you know, in the level above me that there's a close play. Like there might be a close two, three is, is the, the terminology we'll say. So then immediately those guys will flip over to my game look at the angle or the look at the uh, play that I clipped and then start searching for the best angle to come up with an answer, um, you know, to get the call right. And that kind of goes for everything is I basically have to immediately alert the people who are the level ahead of me that something's going on in my game where the referees might come off the floor to look so that they can start figuring out you know, the best angle to get the answer in like a, in a timely manner, basically. Have you had any uh, interesting uh, interactions with like big personality refs like uh, Scott Foster or Joey Crawford? <laughs> um, yeah, those guys. Yeah, I mean, those guys are in there all the time. Uh, well, Joey Crawford's not in there all the time. Joey Crawford is retired. Yeah. But, yeah, Scott Foster's in there all the time. And the thing is you learn different things about different refs. Like mm-hmm. another thing that I didn't mention about the job is before the game at halftime. And then after the game, you're in communication through the headset with the officials on the floor. So 
before the game, they'll talk to me about different plays that they might be looking for. Mm-hmm. So throughout the game, they might say, hey, any travel calls or offensive fouls, I want you to note that down. Then at halftime, they'll come on, you know, back to the locker room and we'll look at certain plays. Um, and they give me like an idea of when it happened. And I search for it in, the, in a little thing where you enter the time codes and we'll run back the plays, you know, on the little technology that we have set up. Um, So we'll look at stuff in slow motion. They'll look at different plays. Um, Now, a guy like Scott Foster, (laughs) he's been doing it for so long. And he's got a big personality, too. Yeah, right. right. (laughs) He knows exactly when the plays are. Like, he's got it memorized in his head. Like, he'll say, hey, Joe, uh, you know, 535 of the third, I want to see this play. So I just have to plug it in and it's already, you know, it's right there. Whereas some officials, they'll just say, Hey, uh, find me that second foul on uh, so-and-so and not, you know, not give me much detail. So, and, and it's cool. Most of them are really good guys also, you know, they catch yeah. a lot of heat, but people don't realize just how good they are at their job. Um, you know, it, it's just people like to pick out the one or two missed calls and, and that's how they remember the whole game. But in, in reality, these guys are the, are the best of the best. Yeah. And so you, you've talked about earlier how the job was primarily a night job, but that was pre-pandemic. And so now you have games that are kind of on every, every single day, all during the afternoon, which as like a viewer at home, that's been amazing. Just like be able to watch the bubble. If I know games are starting at two o'clock, just going to be able to, start watching at two and then like keep watching until like 10. It's Mm -hmm. amazing. So how has that affected your job? So for me, um, it's just been, it's been, you know, it's been a little bit different. Typically they're pretty good about um, scheduling you based on what you kind of request. So for me, since I'm still doing a lot of training stuff during this time, typically that there would be no overlap. Like, the summer I'm locked in on training because just as the NBA season's ending, I kind of can go full throttle with the training. But this year there's a little bit of a crossover. Mm-hmm. So I'll request more evening games. Um, so it doesn't really interfere with my training during the day. Um, so that's worked out pretty nicely. Um, it's, you know, it, once it, it, you have to wear a mask, which makes it a little bit more difficult, honestly, to do the job when you've got, you know, the mask on for five hours. They're taking extreme, you know, precautions in there, which is great. Like temperature get, checks? Like, temperature are you getting COVID checks, tests too? I get a COVID test every four days. Wow. Um, wow. So that's, you got to come in before the shift um, to get tested every fourth day. So what is that like? That's been... Uh, it's not it's not too bad they seem to have like a pretty quick test like you come in they basically just it's not like the one where it goes way up your nose they just (laughs) like swab the nostrils for 10 seconds Mm -hmm. and then they'll usually get the results back to you in about 30 minutes wow um, which is pretty good Mm -hmm. but yeah that's been it's been definitely different You, you know in, in the past, you can kind of walk around the replay center. It's a nice building. You know, you can kind of roam around and 
do whatever um, prior to your game. But now, you know, we kind of just stay in, you know, in the room and, you know, there's much less activity going on in the building. That's for sure. Um, Are you working tonight? I'm actually not. I'm not tonight. I go back in on, on Fridays, my next game. Usually I, I do about four games a week. Okay. Uh, four games a week. And now with the playoffs starting, obviously uh, bigger, you know, mm-hmm. it's a bigger stage now. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's been f- – the actual process has been fairly similar. The referees actually are not in the replay center now, though. They're, we're communicating with them through a truck um, in Florida. They have, they're in a truck in Florida. So the angles that we're showing them, they're just seeing it from the truck instead of being right in the room with us just to, you know, minimize the amount of people. Mm-hmm. You want to you wanna share a few of, like, your, your favorite memories from, from this bubble experience while working in the center? Um, in terms of, like, different things going on in the league or, or – like favorite memories from the league or things that I've done working the game so far. You could give us some both. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd say the best thing about the bubble is that it, it almost is like a big AAU tournament with, you know, with no, well, not the aspect that there's no fans, but just that they're all playing in one location. You know, they're all stuck there. They've got, you know, hotels and things like that. It's a much different experience for the players than a regular season. Um, so it's been fun. And I think the offense has been, and the shooting has been significantly better with a, the closed in environment, you know, no crazy crowd noise, no, you know, large spaces in the background. It's just kind of like a shooter's gym, nice and closed in. Yeah. That's what Joe Harris was saying the other day too. So, and, and I can attest to that, you know, as, as a shooter, you typically like, you know, smaller gyms with less distractions. You can kind of just lock in on the rim easier. So that that definitely has some truth to it when guys are saying that they seem, you know, they feel that they can shoot the ball better. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been fun. And, and you got guys like, for me, I, I, I was a, you know, I've always been a Carmelo Anthony fan. Um so to see him go from absolute bot- rock bottom, you know, rock bottom out of the league to being a starter and a massive contributor on a team that's making this playoff push in Portland, that's been pretty, you know, amazing to watch. And I feel really good for him. Well, do you think um, he'll be able to, like, throughout, like, a brutal seven-game series, do you think his body is going to hold up, especially with the age that he's at? That's a good question. I think um, I think he's done a good job losing weight. To, to mm. he just seems to be moving better than he did in the past couple of years. Um, and I think I think uh, obviously his his legs aren't what they used to be at whatever he is thirty six years old now. Mm. Um, but when the when the bright lights come on in a playoff series, there's not really any travel anymore. Um, I think he'll be okay, actually. I think he, the way the style that he plays, I think bodes well for a playoff series. Um, will it be enough if they play the Lakers? Especially, you know, Dame is probably the best player in the league right now, you could argue. Yes, he is. Um, I think that they can push the Lakers six, maybe even seven games. I don't think they have enough to get it done, but – you know, we'll, we'll see. That's, and, and that's the last thing that the Lakers want to do. 
play a seven-game yeah. series in the first round. They would yeah. love to just roll over a team like Memphis or even Phoenix they'd roll over, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that Portland is probably not what they're looking for, especially <laughs> nope. the way they're playing. But um, the Denver the Denver Jazz game – or Denver-Utah game the other night, that got interesting in the overtime when the, when the shot clock malfunctioned a couple times. Right, right. I was, I was in there for that one. Oh, you were doing the game or I someone else? I, I wasn't working the game, but I was working another game. So, I, again, you've got your head – you know, you've got the headset on, but you can still hear what's going on in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, so, was it chaotic? Yeah, it, it, it wasn't chaotic. You know, we do a pretty good job of, you know, being under control and, and working through situations. Um, but I knew, some, you know, something was going on because – there's a lot of voices that start coming up because people are all jumping in to try to help and figure out what's, what's happening. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was, that was unique. And, and uh, I, I, I think what, what, what ended up happening, I think they had to use, I think what happened is they had to use like a virtual timer to figure out the time that had come off the clock from when it was inbounded. That's so hard yeah. to do too. Yeah. I didn't know they could do that even like, I was I was surprised because it they like went to commercial or something when they were looking at it, and all of a sudden they're like it comes back and like we're going to overtime. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it was crazy. Yeah, they have they, that's a very rare situation though that that happens. I guess whoever was working the clock in the arena um, didn't start it. That happens every once in a while, but um, definitely a curveball for sure. Mm-hmm. What was one of the favorite? What was one of your favorite games that you've kind of worked during this time? Um, let's see. I, I worked a couple of the Lakers games, um, a couple close Lakers games. I'm trying to think if I had any. I I personally, I've worked a lot of the TNT games, because um, and and the way that it works is kind of as you the more years that you do in the replay center, the more they, the guys in there trust you to work the TV games. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, I think more of them, obviously given the, the situation, more of them are, are nationally televised. But like the first year I was in there, I would have zero national TV games, just like the local stations. And like I'd small be, market I'd, teams. Right. I'd work like Phoenix, Memphis or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, whereas now I get a lot of, you know, because I've, I've been there for three years now and I've gotten better at the job, I now do more of the national TV games. Um, so I'm kind of blank. It all, you know, when you do so many games, it kind of all blends in. I can't think if I've really had any great games since the restart. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember you posting something on your Instagram the other night. I think it might have been uh, Houston, Dallas. I thought it was really cool how, like, you took a clip of it it was one of Doncic's moves and you kind of like highlighted it on your Instagram, be like, Hey, younger guys, like look at this move. And it's kind of cool how like some of the stuff that you're taking from like watching these games, you're spreading it out to, to your clients. Yeah. That's actually been a really good thing for me is, is mixing the training with the replay center Mm -hmm. is because I'm constantly looking for different moves, especially at the pro level. Um, different moves that these guys are using and being in the replay center, I can slow stuff down and watch it back after the game. 
So what I'll do is if I see something in the game or a move that I really like, I'll just kind of make a little note of it so I can check back on it later. Um, and I, I use it a lot. You know, I really use that kind of stuff and try to implement it into the training sessions um, and, and pluck different moves here and there that I see from the games um, and, and try to use it with my guys and girls. And so before we move on here, I just want to, was there ever a moment where you were like in the replay center like you're like, you made a decision and you said your opinion, but then later you re-looked at it and you're like, oh shit, I might've messed up this game. Like, So in terms of like making a call? Yeah, making a call. So Dude, that's a lot of pressure. I, I don't right. want to like put pressure on you, but for me, like that's a big time thing. Right. So luckily enough for me is I don't have the final ruling on any calls. All of the final rulings come from the official on the game mm -hmm. so there's been times where unfortunately where i you know or I, I maybe said something and it was not right like or like i'll say uh those are kind of embarrassing like i'll call i'll say close two three and when you when i look back at it i'll see the guy like because i was maybe blinded or shielded by somebody's feet on the court and I'll look back after the game and see he was like four feet behind the line or three feet behind the line, which oh. is not even close. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that's a little bit embarrassing, but there's never been a situation where I've altered the game by, by missing calling something out. I've been pretty good at, you know, figuring out when there's something going on um, and, and calling it out on time. Cool. Yeah, no, I, I, I'll talk about that one. <laughs> so the other day, I kind of found a tweet uh, while scrolling through your feed about this, about the CBS Sports uh, four options about what, what player you would want to be. So option A was two-time MVP, zero championships, 15-time All-Star, Hall of Famer, and 500 million career earnings. Option B, two-time All-Star, one MVP, one championship, 55 million career earnings. Option C, zero time all-star, zero time MVP, three championships and 100 million in career earnings. Or option D, 10 time all-star, zero time MVP, one championship, Hall of Famer and 200 million career earnings. Before we go into this, option C kind of sounds like a Sean Livingston type of player. Right. Um, in, in, yeah, I agree. And you tweeted, here's the controversial part. If you picked anything other than A, you need to be checked into the nearest insane asylum. And that's outrageous. I, uh, <laughs> I think I, I might have gone slightly over the top on, on that. However, um, I still strongly stand by A. B and C are absolutely not even in consideration. I did start to give D more Yeah, D is the way to go. I did. I, I admittedly, after the tweet was sent, I did <laughs> start to, to consider D. Mm -hmm. um, because, you, you know, you get the ring and you still are set for life with $200 million. And you win a championship. as Oh, and you're a Hall of Famer. Right. And you're a Hall of Famer. Um, now, in my opinion, though, A, 
essentially you are at the basically you're at the absolute top of the game like you're you, during your career you are regarded as one of the, uh, as probably one of the best five players in the league if you're a 15 time all-star mm-hmm. you're absolutely far and away again and you know money isn't everything but with 500 million you can support however many people for as long as you possibly want fam generations and generations will, will be supported with with 500 million you know you can invest it in plenty of different things you're a hall of famer and uh you know a, a hall of famer a 15-time all-star with 500 million i think is uh you know, I, I think that's somebody I, that's probably like a Carl Malone or like a, a Patrick Ewing or, you know, a Charles Barkley who are, you know, never got a ring. But in my opinion, with one championship only, I'm not sure how much, obviously for yourself, you know, you feel good about getting that one ring and it means a lot. But in the all time great discussions, Guys with one championship are very rarely mentioned, in my opinion. You always hear about the three ring, you know, the three rings, the six rings, the five rings. But so, then the zero the, rings. So right, like, do you this, see zero rings yeah. and one ring like kind of like in like a similar category as one another? I think it's for a for a player's perspective, getting the one gives you that the feeling that you were able to once get over the hump. Mm-hmm. But in, in argument standpoint, like, you know, I have arguments all day when it comes to, you know, all-time greats and things like that. I don't think a guy winning one ring over zero rings moves the needle that much for me. Like, okay, I just – it's not – you know, maybe they had one incredible team that season where, where they got it done. Mm-hmm. Whereas a guy like Patrick Ewing was a winner – and got to conference championships many times, was in finals, is he really worse than the guy with one ring because he, lo- you know, he lost one less game? Like he was guy. never able to get it done. That's the only yeah. thing. I, I, it's so big to just at least get over the hump once. Is it yeah. just, I think it's important because when you just, you just sometimes like forget about the guys like they they fade out who who don't win if if he is a 15 time all-star, two-time MVP, you're questioning his ability to win. He's he's that good of a player but he can't take it home for his team. That's, that's the, I'm choosing A still, but I think D and A are very close for me. Yeah, I I uh I think now hearing that I I will also walk back the insane asylum uh, <laughs> part of the tweet, but I still would have I still would trade an extra three hundred million for one ring. Well, option A, Chris Paul. Chris Paul hasn't won an MVP, right? That's a good question. I'm, I don't. I don't know if he has. I think any. he came in second in two thousand six, two thousand seven. But like a Chris Paul esque type of player reminds me of option A, because he he's been robbed of an MVP in my opinion. He should be the MVP this year for what he's done with the Thunder. But I'm partial because I'm a Thunder fan. But he's been great, yeah. That being said, he that kind of reminds me of like a Chris Paul type of guy. Surefire Hall of Famer. Uh, definitely up there with the All-Stars. Just hasn't won the MVP, but also zero championships. 
and he's definitely made that much money. He's a top, he's a top five point guard of all time. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. But he's not, but he's never won. Like, right. do you hold that? Do you hold that against yeah. Chris Paul? Because he spent his years on a on a terrible Hornets team the first few years. Right. Um. See that that's why it's tough because it, it, winning is is obviously important, but. I, I just don't hold winning championships as I don't hold as much weight as other people do in that. Just because mm-hmm. Chris Paul, in my opinion, he's a winning player. Like there, yeah, he, I agree. He, he is not the reason that teams are not winning. Like, and, mm-hmm. and you can say that about a lot of guys who fell just short. Like when I argue for LeBron James being. In my, you know, I'll, I'll argue that he's the best player ever. When people, you know, destroy him for his record in the finals, I just don't see how you, you can't take into account the opponent that they're playing and his individual performance doing everything in his power. You know, I, I just don't see how, you, how the losses can always fall on, on a player like that. Yeah. I think, I think option A. I just did a little research. Option A looks like uh, a lot like Russell Westbrook. He he's two time MVP. He's nine time All Star right now. Um, he's 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 like I don't know how much he'll end with, but he's up there in the career earnings, and he hasn't won a championship. So does that does that change the argument at all? I'm not a huge Russell Westbrook fan. Um, I've become less of a fan over the years. He's he's very much so a stat patter. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I think his his motor and like his energy and his incredible his desire that he brings to the court is just you know it's incredible. I just don't like his style of play that much. So for a guy like him, I could say that you could fault him for for them not getting as far as maybe they could. Um, you know, obviously with Durant, they, they made a couple good runs, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure with his play style, if that's conducive to ever winning a ring. So that's a good, you know, that's a, you make a, a good argument with that one. I'm, it's tough. It's, a, it's, it's tough. It's tough to choose. It's uh, incredibly tough. I, I have one question for you, Joe. Yeah. You, what year were you born in? Were you? Did you see any of Michael Jordan? Um, I was born in 94. Okay. So I saw, if I'm being honest with you, the only, like, any Jordan I remember was Old Man Wizards Jordan. <laughs> okay. Um, that being said. Did the Last Dance so, tournament change anything for you? Um, the last, so, and I was going to say before I talk about the Last oh. Dances, I have done you know i've done my homework on on jordan like i i haven't i'm not blindly arguing against him i've seen many of his full games you know um different like classic games where i saw some of his best performances and i i did some you know watch some games of his not great performances mm-hmm. um the last dance ultimately didn't change anything in terms of where my stance is on him being the second best player ever. Um, 
I think it, it just shows, it really just highlighted that he's borderline insane in terms of being a competitor. No doubt. Um, it was great. It was cool. You know, it was, it was cool to see that he would basically go to, there were, there was nothing that was going to stop him from, from putting himself in a position to win and holding other guys accountable to like an insane level. Um, so it, it just kind of, and I knew that about him, that he was a great competitor, but it, just to kind of see different things and how crazy he was about winning, mm-hmm. that was, you know, that was cool to see. Yeah. But um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't move the needle for me in terms of moving him to what mm-hmm. I think. I think LeBron is the best basketball player ever. Because I grew up watching LeBron, I kind of feel the same way. But I, I remember like a couple months ago when we got to watch the Last Dance documentary, I watched it with my dad. And my dad remembers distinctly like some of like his biggest games, like the double nickel performance at MSG. Yeah. Oh, you're a Knicks fan, right? Um, I, I've <laughs> got to be partial with the NBA job. Okay. Um, but I definitely, definitely being a local guy, grew up a you know, a, a Knicks fan. So I'm sure you watched the double nickel performance, but just kind of like getting to see that. And like my dad just like kind of watching in awe. It, it was, it was very cool. Yeah. I mean, he was, he would get in zones where he just couldn't be stopped basically. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, arguably the best scorer ever, just like a, a killer mentality and, and just really a, a great, great scorer. Yeah. Noah, what, what was it like for you to kind of be able to watch The Last Dance? Um, I'd say it, it, made me, it made me think MJ is, is number one ahead of LeBron. I'd, it's just the, the drive to win is just incredible. Like, he wanted it so much. And there's still time for LeBron, I think, to do, to do, to do that and get, get the championships and just, just be more of a – influencer on his team Mm -hmm. but uh i just think mj it was it was insane just the last dance showed how much he wanted it and what he was willing to do to to get there yeah no he um and i'll never argue against him being the most fierce competitor and you know always wanted the last shot you know Mm -hmm. had that killer mentality um and again, you could even say he's been a better winner um, in terms of, you know, 6-0 and in the finals is what people always point to. Um, my, my counter to the 6-0 and always is that LeBron has already been to nine finals but gets discredited for getting to three more finals already at this point in well, his career. And he's also had lousy teams that he's brought to the finals. Right. Um, I could – I honestly, we could – do a full another thing episode on, on Jordan type stuff um, because you know for me in all of those finals again that's why you can't pin it on a solo a single player is I think in two out of the nine finals LeBron's team was the favorite mm-hmm. um, and in six out of six Jordan's teams were the favorite um, so it's a, you know, basketball is a team game. Like he ran into the, the Warriors at a very bad time on, you know, just as they had gotten over the hump with that. I think they would have 
absolutely won again prior to the Durant signing. Like they, they were poised to get it another one. Um, and then that kind of brought things, brought things down. Right as LeBron was reaching his peak, they signed, you know, the second best player in the league to, to join a 73-win team. Yeah. Um, not ideal for, for LeBron. But, uh, but uh, oh, do you want to – you have anything else, no, Jeff? No, 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 go ahead. Let's just – I just want to, like, kind of wrap up, spend our last few minutes talking about what are, what are your finals predictions? We, we talked about the all-time greats, but what are your, what are your expectations as we ramp up into, I think, one of the most emotional postseasons out of, like, every sport. I think there's nothing like a seven-game series in basketball. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's tough, you know, and, and the, the most difficult thing is, which I think is going to really lead to a number of upsets or, you know, at least a lot of seven game series in the early going is the lack of home court is a massive, massive blow to the, you know, the higher seeds. Um, you know, you can count on if it gets pushed to a game seven, let's say having a big advantage playing in front of a home crowd or opening up a series with a chance to go up two zero, winning both games on your home floor and then having to only steal one on the road. Yeah. Um, I think you're going to see, uh, you have a chance of seeing a few first round upsets. Um, in the East, I think that I do not think that the Bucks will make the finals. Um, I do not think that they'll get there. I think either the Celtics or the Raptors will knock them off. Um, I think the Sixers have no chance. Um, I, 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 don't, with, I don't understand that team. The Sixers. With I don't understand them. They're just not meshing well. They, the Horford signing turned out to be really bad in a, in a guard-driven league. Um, and, you, you know, Simmons and Embiid can't stay healthy at the same time either. So I would look for Boston or Toronto to end up coming out of the East. Um, with Miami being a dark horse, I think that Miami could get to an Eastern Conference Finals possibly. Um, and out West – I'm going to still go with the Lakers, assuming that they get Rondo back. Um, if they don't get him back, it could be a little bit of trouble. But when they have him back, LeBron doesn't have to always uh, bring the ball up. Um, and they, that allows him to kind of play in the high post a little bit where he passes super well out of that. So I think, I think that if they match up with the Blazers, you might see a six or seven game series. But – LeBron's not going to go out in the first round unless there's massive injuries <laughs> around, you know, the team more so than they have now. So, like, you're not really worried about, like, the Lakers' guard play. Even though Rondo comes back, you think as long as he's back, the guard play will, will be all right? So, the way that – their guards stink right now. But the way, that, the way that I look at it is in a playoff matchup, Let's say, first of all, McCollum, they said, has a fractured back now. I saw that. So he's clearly not at 100%. Um, with, with Dame, Dame is going to win them probably two games by himself um, mm -hmm. just because he's, he's that good right now. But for me, 
if they can get Rondo back, they can rotate enough guards around with Caldwell Pope and Danny Green and uh, Rondo that maybe they can hold them to 40 a night, Lillard. And for me, every matchup that I look at, I think about it comes down to who's guarding LeBron James. And I think the one position that they match up terribly is with LeBron James. Like, they have no answer. Like, well, Nurkic, like, Nurkic is too slow, and then Collins can't, won't be able to stay with him either. No, like, there is no answer for LeBron in that series. Um, so I think what it comes down to is I think that the Lakers can do a little bit more serviceable of a job of containing Lillard than they can do of containing LeBron. Hmm. Um, so for a team like Toronto, you can throw like three bodies at him and, and you know, it works. Or like when it was, uh, you know, what the heck, who do they, I'm drawing a blank on who they, but it wasn't, uh. Who the heck was it? I watched it the other night, and they just kept rotating. But it was uh, – somebody kept rotating bodies at him. And, and it's just teams that can throw multiple 6'8", six, 6'9", six, you know, long athletic guys like the Warriors finals teams. Mm-hmm. They rotate between Iggy and, um, you know, Durant. And, the, and they were know, all the same they? height. They were all the same right. height, and they were all the same athletic profile. Right, and that wears on you. For LeBron, you're looking at 36-year-old Carmelo Anthony, uh, Mario Hazonia. Like, mm-hmm. there's just no, there's no real matchup for him. So I think that that's why they'll be okay, um, despite their really bad guard play right now. So what about what about the Clippers, the Nuggets? You have the small ball Rockets, and then of I, course I my team, the Thunder. What do you think is going to happen for them? The Thunder are playing really good basketball. And what's their what's their matchup right now? If uh, it was to end today? So we're either going to be playing the Nuggets or the Rockets. We're not going to be playing the Jazz. I I would not be shocked if they – That's remember I was talking about those upsets. I wouldn't be mm-hmm. shocked if, if they beat one of those teams. The Nuggets are pretty deep. Um, Michael Porter Jr. is a ridiculous scorer. Yeah, they're pretty deep, and they also have extremely good size. So that might be a little bit tougher of a matchup. I, I like them against the Rockets. Mm-hmm. I think that they could uh, – it's tough. The West is so good. I mean, it's yeah. tough. But I, I think that that could be a team that you see um, shock somebody and, and knock somebody off. And, and Justin, like a half hour ago or hour ago, uh, Westbrook – uh, has a strained quad. So he okay. won't be playing against Philly on Friday, and he's going to be reevaluated next week. Yeah, no, that's that, that could be interesting. He, he tends to get injured a lot um, just because I think he plays so hard. Yeah. Think, you know, like it's, it's bound to happen. If, if Chris Paul stays healthy, they're just as good as, you know, a lot of those middle-of-the-pack Western Conference teams. I mm-hmm. I do still think that it's Lakers and Clippers kind of a tier above all the rest. Um, but it'll be interesting. I definitely don't feel as confident saying that, you know, the Lakers are, are a sure thing to get out of the West, especially with the format, um, yeah. you know, of, of, of no home court advantage. So we'll see. Well, uh, 
Joe, I appreciate you spending some time with us. So every, yeah. every call from every controversial call from now on, we're going to be calling you. Yeah, hopefully I don't care. Just remember, I'm not making those final decisions, so don't give me too much heat on that one. But, but uh, um, before we go, where can the listeners find you? And I'll, I'll link everything in the podcast description. Um, sure, yeah. So my Instagram is jrr uh, underscore and then hoops, H-O-O-P-S. Um, so for any basketball fans, I try to post a lot of different stuff of my workouts on there. Um, again, we talked about that earlier in this segment. I do a lot of stuff with pro and college players. Um, you know, I've worked out over 20 professionals at this point, which has been amazing. So if you're a real basketball fan and looking to learn the game, um, I definitely would, would follow me on there. Um, and if you have a Twitter um, that's as well the same handle. Um, again, I try to you know post all my stuff is typically basketball content. Yeah, um, it's a mixture of uh, you know learning. You know, especially on the Instagram, it's a mixture of learning the game, um, teaching the game, and then also you know providing uh, you know the guys who work out with me. Just everybody likes to see clips of themselves, so. Um, providing that and, and basically just trying to build my brand as, as a trainer as best as I can. And the Twitter is more kind of fun, argumentative stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you can give me a follow, follow on either of those and I'm definitely pretty active. Absolutely. Uh, so thank you again, Joe. I'm so glad we got to reconnect after uh, our experiences at Lakeview a few years back, but uh, maybe we could have you, on again once the season ends and we'll see how your predictions hold up yeah absolutely um and yeah thanks for having me you guys do a, a really good job um very professional and i think you guys both have a, a really bright future in anything you do uh in terms of sports media or, or whatever your goals are so keep it up and thanks for having me on yeah thank you thank you joe i appreciate it um have a great night yeah Take All care. Right. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you soon. All right.